Hey everyone, you're listening to the Smooth Brain Inquisition, where we talk about sometimes difficult topics to the best of our cognitive ability. I'm Bryant. And I'm Andrew. And on today's topic, we're going to talk about something lighter. Uh, we're going to talk about tabletop games. Uh, but before that, I guess housekeeping. Um, yeah, uh, I guess as far as housekeeping is concerned, I don't have too much today. Um, but one of the main things is, um, again, if you guys are listening to this and you happen to you know, like oh, what yeah, it is right. that we have to say, uh, drop us a like. Um, subscribe to the podcast or whatever service you're listening to. Um, share it to somebody who might think it's interesting. Um, if there's a way to comment on whatever platform, leave a yeah. comment and uh, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. I know that's like a huge driver of discovery. So, yeah, if you guys could do that, that would be fantastic. Definitely also share it on Facebook. I know Facebook's not like the what it used to be, but it is our main platform right now, I think. So Right, right, right. Like, well, we'll work on migrating to yeah. something more popular like Instagram Reels or TikTok or yeah, something that whenever sure. we can figure out how we're not old men and can use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's a TikTok? Yeah, exactly. If it's not a watch, I don't I don't know much about it. Yeah. Um, uh, some other housekeeping stuff, uh, the continuing saga of what the heck is going on in Andrew's life. Um, so, uh, well, medically at least. So the, the most recent thing, you know, I had the tooth extracted. I don't know if you can tell. I'm still you not still stopped sound clear, up. Yeah. Now my voice is a little hoarse. I don't know if you're hearing that at all, but I, I notice, I notice it in my own speaking voice. So I assume other people are hearing it. I noticed it this morning or the afternoon when you picked me up to go to the, uh, the gathering place. So. Right. Well, the reason that that is, is that last weekend, I believe it was, when I went to the Happy Valley Fiddler's Convention, um, the, the the Monday following, I was not supposed to take any allergy medication. And the reason being is because I was going to go see the allergist. So I've had my tooth extracted. I went to go see All an right. allergist to see if I was allergic to anything. But to do that, you need five days without taking antihistamines. So that means no Claritin, no Allegra, none of, the, any of that stuff. Yeah. So I went there to the place, and I'm allergic to my cats. This is a fact <laughs> to me, but scientifically and medically, it cannot be proven. I went there to take the the test, and what ended up happening? Well, they they take your shirt off, lay down on the table. We're gonna scratch your back with these things. And um, I can only imagine that that's what it feels like to get hooked if you're a fish in the lip. Oh, my gosh. It was not a pleasant experience. On, on your back, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I did, did that uh, as a kid. That's turned out I was allergic to everything. Oh. So my whole back was just like one big welt. Oh. And it was, it was pretty bad. The only things that I was allergic to was the first, the control is just histamine, which I didn't know. I mean, I guess if you take an antihistamine, it makes sense that histamine yeah. would be the thing. So that... And then apparently, like pecan and hickory nut pollen, those are the only things. They wow. even had cat spit on. I don't know if it was cat spit. <laughs> they had cat stuff in one of those that they scratched. Do you my think background. maybe like maybe it's not the cats, but maybe the litter could be the litter. There's a lot of dust in that stuff. The other thing that uh, yeah, I don't know what the, I mean. I think it's clay, but yeah. I mean we use the same know. litter, Doctor Elsie's. Yeah, it's supposed to yeah. be good. Doctor Elsie's let me down, I yeah. guess. Then the other thing that I consider is like maybe there's some kind of fiber in the uh, the carpet padding or something like that, some right. kind of building material yeah. for this house. That I just wasn't aware of, but yeah. So they they lit up my back. They even did these um, injections on my forearms um, to <laughs> like it was like a TB test, but like a lot of them I had 15 on my arms and 42 on my back. That's crazy. And it freaking uh, zero out of ten. Do not recommend. They were nice but stabby. Dude, uh, like <laughs> sometimes like the test is worse than like 
if you have something like I remember I had like a flu test in Korea and he was like this would be very uncomfortable and I was like okay that's fine are you gonna swab my throat yeah. and he pulled out this little like alien torture device <laughs> and it looks like a q-tip but it's plastic and it has like barbs on it Oof. and they shoved it up my nose like into the cavity uh, and it starts scraping Ugh. And it gets mucus, skin, and blood samples at one time. And it hurt a lot. But also, <laughs> it was imagine. so uncomfortable. And I was just like, I'd rather just have the flu yeah, and not yeah. know about it. I don't it. need to know like, about the test or anything. It was it was bad. Well, that was that was pretty rough uh, um, in terms of, like, you know, things that I subjected myself to and could have avoided it had I not wanted to know if I was allergic to the cats. So nothing came of that. They said, you're allergic to huh. this, so you're probably need Flonase there in the spring. And then I'm like, all right, whatever. Uh, and that's all that really came of that. Is there anything uh, your way? Mm, not really, honestly. Life's pretty much the same. Like, work was busy this past week, but nothing I can talk about a whole lot on the uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. So no, Nothing too interesting, yeah. I guess. Uh, well, I guess... Uh, we can just sort of jump right into, you know, tabletop games, the, yeah. the importance thereof. So I think when we first started pitching this idea, it was like be more focused on uh, uh, Magic the Gathering and stuff like that. Right, right. But when I started researching, I think it is it's a much more interesting topic than than I expected. Right. Uh, like I went into this one thinking it was going to be just like a light, easy topic, and it's actually kind of cool. So the first cool thing I found out about that I did not realize was that board games have existed for longer than written language. Longer than, oh, oh longer than written. I was like, yeah, yeah not language, like yeah. written okay. language. Yeah. Uh, so they found, it's just simple dice, right. like bones, uh, rocks, painted rocks and stuff. Right. But from older than 5,000 BC, which is about this, not too long after we became a agrarian species. You know, right. we, we transitioned from hunter-gathering to a sedentary lifestyle. But what happens when you stop moving, you have free time. So, you know, we touched on this idea on the pet episode as well, that once you stop moving around, you, you know, you start finding ways to entertain yourself. Yeah. And it just started board games were the way. Well, I imagine, so uh, this makes me think of um, a story that... Um, I heard from my buddy David. Uh, David, uh, shout out to you. Um, one of his friends, and possibly even he, went to this island, and it's like a state park in Hawaii, right? Okay. And um, you're not supposed to live there, but a bunch of hippie folk do. <laughs> they go and they set up uh, hammocks and tents and, well, probably just hammocks, really. And there's this, like, invasive wild boar population that's, like, completely unprotected. Wow. And you can kill them and eat them. Or at least at that time, you could kill them and eat them. And people were, that was just the thing. You go there, you wolf down some mangoes, kill you a boar, have a good time, stay there for as long as you like. Wow. Uh, the park rangers aren't going to kick you out because it's kind of treacherous to get you over there. They'll have to fly a helicopter to get you. Huh. So, um, and, and people just go there and hang. He was the one who told me about this. But they were talking about, like, you know, how would you stay there? Like, you know, we think about the modern comfort, such as, like, well, Hawaii's probably warmer and more humid than here. So you're thinking yeah. about AC and things like that. They were talking about you don't do anything except just, like, hang out and chill. And then you only move when you're hungry. So that would be, like, I think they were living the epitome of a hunter-gatherer oh, yeah. sort of thing. So it's just, like, conserving energy until you have to find a mango. 
or something yeah. like that. And then they would they, obviously they played some kind of games. I don't know. I mean, well, even you, some, probably something as simple as like tic tac toe in the sand. Or I mean, if you just sit there doing nothing for days at a time, you you go crazy. Like right. you got to find a way to occupy your mind. Occupy your mind. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned tic-tac-toe, but actually the big one was uh, hopscotch. Hopscotch. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember how long ago it was, but like it's been around way longer than you expect. Right. Like as it exists today, unchanged, like thousands of years. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. It is. Like I remember when I was a kid, like me and my sisters would get down uh, and uh, like we'd get a piece of, like if our parents just mulched the garden or something like that, yeah. you get that fresh mulch, you know. Dude, it's better than chalk. Yeah. And yeah. we'd draw out the hopscotch thing on the ground. But we we did this thing, and tell me if you did it this way when you did it as a child. You get a rock and you have to toss it in the first square and you jump to that and then you jump back. And then if you do that successfully, then you grab the rock and you toss it to the second square. You know and what's then you funny? do those and then come back. I don't actually know the rules for hopscotch. I mean, I don't know that there's rules. It's just You like, just throw a rock and... I mean, well, I mean, we, we, we brought a rock into it. I don't know yeah. where anybody learned any of that. If they taught it, like mom and dad taught it to us or if yeah, they yeah. learned it at school or what. So, yeah. but that's, that's sort of how we did it. Did, what did you do? Did you just draw it and jump? I, yeah, we just jumped. Oh, okay. Like one foot, two foot, two feet. Two foot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's like games have just always existed for as long as human society has existed as it does. Yeah. We, we played games and uh, it made me wonder about like, so I, I read a book series right now called the Wayfarer series, it's like a sci-fi book by a, a girl named Becky Chambers. Okay. I love the books. Uh, I'm on book three right now and I won't, I won't spoil anything, but everyone should read those books. But one of the things in the book that got mentioned was how, uh, other species in the universe or galaxy think humanity is very strange because all of our games are competitive. Like, one player versus another or teams and right. most other species, their games are cooperative. It's like, you know, we're, you're working together to solve a puzzle or to, you know, meet a challenge together. Right. And it made me think about like a lot of our games are like tactical in nature. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the most widely played popular games in all of history is chess. Right. And chess, you know, it's, you can't learn chess and then go be a, brilliant general on the battlefield but there's right. some correlation there yeah but it's very much like it's, it's a corollary to battlefield tactics right a lot of games are like that so uh uh over in um this is an interesting random fact uh over at the Biltmore estate yeah they have napoleon's chess set famously that's there. cool it's yeah. Uh, yeah you can look at it can't touch it obviously but i mean it's yeah. there so i always thought that was kind of interesting to see there uh like just a bunch of different artifacts, but that one stands out in my mind the most. And one of the things before we continue down this uh, chess path, uh, did you in your research? I'm, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Did you find like when the table was introduced to like have a tabletop game versus like you so, know just like hopscotch for example that like we were saying earlier. The best, the first real example I found was uh, I think it's called Senet in Egypt. Uh-huh. Uh I don't know how it's played. You can actually buy that board game now. They kind of. They revived kind of, it? Kind of, but no one's really completely sure what the rules were. Right. Uh, I don't know if that was the oldest, like, you know, quote-unquote tabletop game. Right. But it was played primarily by, like, uh, like royalty and okay. higher-ups and stuff, which a lot of games were for a long time. Right. Uh, well, I'm sure that there was a lot of craftsmanship that was yeah. involved in some of the stuff that... Oh, they were, it's really cool. Yeah. The board's cool. But one thing about it that... It's actually... That's why I kind of thought about the whole uh, games as a cultural reflection, because... Uh, 
what we do know about that game is that it's very luck based uh -huh. and Egyptian society at the time was all about fate. Like fate was undeniable. Your fate was your fate. Right. So the game was less about, as far as we understand strategy and more about luck of the draw or luck of the roll. I think right. it had dice or whatever it was. Yeah. So yeah, I think games maybe. Okay. So I think games used to really be truly a reflection of society. Yeah. I don't know if that's so much the case anymore. I think games become much more personal. Right. So uh, we can talk about this some more later on, but games have obviously changed over time. Uh, but then when you think board game, what is the first game that comes to your mind? To my mind? Like as far as just like, you know. If I think of a quintessential board game. Yeah. Uh, board game specifically, yeah. uh, I think of Monopoly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Milton Bradley did a really good job marketing that one, I think. Well, that game fucking sucks. <laughs> it's not a fun game no, if you, after if a while. If you play it by the actual rules, it is kind of the point. It's yeah. it's in the title. It's right. a monopoly. One player controls the board. Right. And that's not very fun. Yeah, well, uh, to one of your points, it's not technically a very adversarial game at that point. Everybody's yeah. trying to climb to the top. The objective is to climb to the top, but not necessarily to ruin somebody else's day. Now that happens. Well, it, it's an inevitable outcome. No, it absolutely is though, because as you, if you land on somebody else's square, you have to pay them money and stuff, right? Right. right. So you're taking from the other. Like, there's not a shared goal. You, right. You're all enemies. Right, right. Right. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's not like a violent game. It's not right. like you're. It's not like chess. Yeah. Chess is chess like clearly is adversarial. My army versus your yeah. army. Yeah. But I do think, you know, I think board games have, I mean, obviously had a resurgence pretty recently. Yeah, very recently. Uh, In my mind, at least. I have kind of a theory on it, but we can get to that more later as well. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, I think this board games are as quintessentially human as language or uh, anything. I mean, this is, every society has independently created some form of tabletop game. Right. And some of them are still played. I cannot remember the damn name right now, but there was a game that everyone thought was gone. They uh -huh. found like an old board, but they did like, how do we play this game? Right. And then there was some old guy in, I want to say it was in India. And he was like, no, I still play that game. And they're uh -huh. like, holy shit, that game's been played for like thousands of years nonstop right. then. Because he was like, oh yeah, my grandparents taught me. Right. Well, right. this game was like, you I guess know. they just played it in their family and it didn't really spread out too far, but I bet it's out and about now if somebody's researching yeah. it. Oh yeah, all those games. You can you can buy all those old games now. Like they said, the Egyptian Sinet, whatever it's called. You can buy that game right now. Yeah. Uh, another one like uh Backgammon, Backgammon's been is around. like been around forever. Right. And I didn't realize there is a whole like backgammon, like professional league in the US uh -huh. that I've never actually played it, so I have no idea what the rules, the rules are. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I mean, there you go. Like, people take it seriously as well. It's not just for fun. People are like, I'm going to make money on this. Right. Well, I think that speaks to sort of, like, you know, the evolution of some of the games is, like, they uh, started out to occupy your mind as sort of, like, not necessarily a pastime, but as a past. Well, no, more necessarily as a pastime. And then it evolved into something you would seek out to do as rules would get more refined yeah. and objectives would change just a little bit to make it a little bit more interesting or to uh, to introduce strategy, to sharpen your mind instead of just pass the time. Well, it's funny you mentioned that as well because as laws developed, rules for games became more you know, set in stone right, because right. they were made of stone. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it's... And then to 
further. You just mentioned competitive uh, play. So that that's like another, I mean, aspect that I see of, uh, you know, some tabletop games, not all. And we can speak to like Magic the Gathering and Pro Leagues and that, or um, uh, the World Series of Poker. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know of any other kind of like straight up gambling games that would be played as widely. I would definitely argue that Gambling is a is a component to Magic the Gathering, though. Gambling is a component to most of these yeah. games that involve yeah, yeah. luck as part of it. Like yeah. chess. Then this is the this is where I would go to the the difference between some of the games, uh, and there is. I don't know if it's like game theory or if it's like just a fact that uh, there are games that have perfect information, such as chess. Yeah, you there is nothing hidden other than what the person is thinking, um, and you see all the information that you need to make a decision is on the table. Yeah, you can stop, you can ask questions, you can even move to see it from their perspective if you need to, if you can't flip it around in your mind's eye. Um, and then you have games that have imperfect information, and then there's blends of how imperfect or how perfect it is. So when like, you're when you're assessing. Um, what what is it? Um, you know Texas Hold'em, the rules yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have information that's available, and then everyone has access to that information to construct the best hand that they can yeah. get out of their stuff. But additionally, you don't know what's coming because you know that other things are going to happen, and there's right. a lot of luck yeah. based on it. Yeah. But that luck isn't the entirety of what you're not looking at the cards in your hand and the cards that are on the table. You're playing against the other players. You're playing them almost as much as you are the cards yeah. in your hand. Well, that's the whole like the whole bluffing thing comes into play. Like right. you're, yeah. I mean, professional card players, the ones who win consistently. It, it's not just luck because, right? You know, if it was, you wouldn't. Yeah, there win. wouldn't be like, a winning percentage above fifty percent. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think luck is going to be an, a factor in any game you play. Uh well okay so well no even D and D I guess because like you're so rolling, you're rolling those dice yeah, dice yeah for sure and like it's the luck introduced the introduction of luck does bring in that imperfect yeah. information because you can't guarantee an outcome what also makes it more fun too it allows like I think a good game like the luck allows an inexperienced player to come into the game and not just be rolled over immediately right like if the game was entirely skill-based it's not a good game because then it's prohibitive for new players to enter into right uh which again we're talking about magic the gathering a lot today because that's i think i think magic the gathering might be like well for me that and D &D are like the epitome of tabletop tabletop games games right for various reasons but i do want to talk about my theory about why tabletop games had a kind of resurgence okay so like Tabletop games were the only games for a very long... Well, not the only... You know what I mean. Like yeah, they were yeah, yeah. Video in, games in, weren't around. In your house, yeah. Well, yeah. So video games, exactly, yeah. So, but then video games came out, and even though it was a, you know, a digitally interactive thing, you still did it with your friends in right. front of a TV together. Uh-huh. You had split screen. Right. Like, you and I used to play GoldenEye and Snow 64, yeah. Smash Brothers. Absolutely. Uh, even, I mean, even if I was playing, like, Zelda, or you were playing Zelda, we were usually at each other's houses watching each other yeah. play like and we, communicating helping each yeah. other out with it there was a there was a in-person in-person social aspect to video games right that as video games got more advanced was kind of lost it went from split screen to all online play right it's still social but you're not together anymore right you're not in the same room 
So then, but since like 2011, there's been this huge surge in tabletop gaming. Right. And I think there's two components there. I think one is that desire to be social. Right. Like people want that interaction with other people. But the other thing was like around that same time was also kind of the, the uh, what's the website? Uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, right? Kickstarter. Absolutely. Crowdfunding allowed people to like, well, I have this idea for a game. I want to make this game. But Milton Bradley or uh, Wizards of the Coast aren't going to yeah, they're not gonna fund, fund some random idea. Right. But crowdfunding allowed all these cool ideas to become tangible. They were real. And so it was just a perfect time. People wanted to be social again, and there was a way to make it happen. And uh, Well, uh, to continue on to that, the largest, well, uh, a, a good person that, you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. we talked about Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, William put out a game. William does everything. So uh, yeah, he, long-time he listeners, we mention him almost every episode. William is a uh, jack-of-all-trades and a master of pretty much all of the things that he does. <laughs> he's uh, There's uh, no weaknesses in his game. He's 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 pretty, you know, he, he rolled God stats. But anyways, <laughs> uh, another thing uh, outside of the, the Kickstarter thing is um, Draft a Dragon. That was the name of the game. I was trying to remember that too while I was talking about William. That was the name yeah. of it. Uh, you can, we can talk to him in the Discord. You can see about it and everything. Okay. I think he's still got it. Um, but the other thing is uh, the pandemic yeah. was contrapositive. Contrapositive, I think that's the word. Like, contrary to what you would think, tabletop games skyrocketed because we were at home. And with your family. Well, with your family. But the other thing is to sort of go, not necessarily get, it's because it's a different angle. Tabletop games, not video games, were made better because of Discord, because of yeah. other things, people using webcams and playing. I played more Magic the Gathering during the pandemic than I think I have. Well, I say like it's over. But uh, yeah. I played more Magic the Gathering during the pandemic than I have at any point in my life. The The stores are open now and people are going down, sitting down. They're, they have masks or they don't. You know, most people are vaccinated uh, yeah. and people are out there playing i was surprised how many people were at the gathering place today i mean, right. we walked in like every table was packed and they're having like, that that cool tournament thing going on but that was like right. that's a lot of people just much, yeah. many, like just uh sort of estimating there's probably about 50 I, people i'm gonna say there, 50 right? for sure yeah because yeah. those tables they have those are long tables yeah yeah shout out to the gathering place yeah. you guys are awesome yep um but the pandemic really really did that i got a lot of uh Magic the Gathering in, and especially uh, it's a four-player game the way that we were playing it. It's called Commander. It's the variant. I won't get it too much into the weeds of it, but you need three other people to play this format with, and uh, I started a community. The community is long since dead, uh, but it was called The Careful Study, and we had all sorts that. of people yeah. in there. I think at its height, we had more than 300 people in there that were active. So, uh, and it was just, I organized a, a little community for people to come and play magic and yeah. it was, it was pretty great. I do wonder if also part of the surge is like the anticipation of the pandemic being over and everyone's like, okay, what can we do together once it's done? Right. So everyone kind of like stockpiled, you know, social activities and stuff. Right. I mean, it could, well, one of the things that I have a hard, like I have a hard time squaring this circle is I almost, I don't know if I would rather, but I feel like if I had a dedicated space for it, 
I would probably prefer to play Magic uh, like Commander online than I would to go somewhere in person. As bizarre as that is. And then if people wanted to play in person, absolutely I would. So I get it. I So, I, you know, I, I, I love Magic. I'm mostly a arena player. Right. But my true passion is D&D. Yeah. And... Oh, for, I, for the people who don't know what Arena oh, is, it's a it's a one v one online client yeah. of Magic the Gathering. It's but, pretty uh, cool. You should download it if you're. It's, it's, it's also it's free, so yeah, yeah absolutely. But for D and D, like I, you know, I when I was in Korea, I knew Kathy and I are not social. You guys know. Right. Like, you invite us to go somewhere, like nah. <laughs> yeah, we're good. like we're good. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to meet some people and have fun doing it, and I was like, you know what? Like, I've always wanted to play D and D. And so I started a and d group in Korea, and I loved it. Like, I mean, it was, uh, for a lot of reasons, one, it was like, uh, like, it helped me with my social anxiety. Uh, it, it was just, it was fun. But I tried playing at the gathering place. Uh, it was a good time. Right. But I definitely prefer playing at home. Not because of social anxiety. I just like that it's more relaxed and... Uh, you just feel more free to go on show. And I can drink more. I right. like to drink when I play. Yeah, yeah. Like, it makes everything more fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here and here. Alcohol. Yeah. Stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I always, like, that's why I, I always insisted on Saturday evenings at my apartment. Right. And I would, like, drink some scotch and get right. kind of shitty. But <laughs> it, it was always fun. I never had a good time. I, I treated it not as just a game, though. It was It was how I socialized. It was the way Kathy and I spend our Saturday evenings. That was our socialization. Right. And you play with Kathy. Right. She's funny as fuck. Right. Like she's all about the combat. Yeah. She's, she's very imaginative like, of what's happening with it. I'm, like, I'm not as good of an improviser. Well, cause like there's three pillars to D and D, right? You have the exploration, the role playing and the combat. Right. And Kathy was just like, yeah, not a triangle. It's a line. That line is combat. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. So I would say, yeah, to, to your point about the community of it, that's that's like a, a huge thing with – so I made a community online. Yeah. But before I even did that, when I was getting back into this, um, me and a, a, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Alex, we, we went to uh, play this at um, wherever the hell it's called. What's the name of that place I go to? Atomic, Atomic Empire. Atomic Empire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Atomic Empire. They had their uh, their place on Wednesday nights. And uh, the for, for for commander, commander because yeah. you know it's a dead time. People aren't really out and yeah. about, so they're like, let's see if we it'll stick. And boy, did it! There was a couple times when I went there to where I don't I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to where I say it was at least as many people at the gathering place, if not maybe seventy people there. Atomic Empire has they've got a, a lot, lot of space, space. Yeah. yeah. So and and there are people playing other types of games there, but I would go there you and know. show up. But I know so many of those people. So now when I go, like the people who've, you know, weathered the pandemic and they're they're deciding that it's safe enough to come out and play, I see people that I see, you know, regularly enough so much to where uh, it's almost like uh, as a child when I would go to church, this is like my church now. Like I go there and I see these people and I'm like, you know, my brother in Christ, are you playing the Earth Dragon? Yeah. (laughs) I think kind of the appeal of Magic the Gathering is not just... It's a community aspect. It's social. It's a game. Right. But there's something for everybody. Right. Like, right. Like I'm. Like I like Commander. Uh-huh. I enjoy playing it. But I just I don't have. Like I'm not an idiot. But right. I don't have the capacity to sit there and. There's a big cognitive play. Word. Two two games or so. I'm good. Uh-huh. But then it's just like holy shit. 
like I cannot look at any more of these fucking cardboard pieces. I can play it pieces. all day. Oh, I, I know you can. All yeah. day. I talk about it all the time on our Discord as it is. But that's the thing is, like, I, I know people, I know you know people who don't play at all, but still collect the cards. Correct, yeah. Like, you know, you it's a collector's item. It's a fun game. They have monetary value. Right. Like, like people well, enjoy it because for of that, many reasons. That is uh, the other aspect of uh, the community. So... Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, which is to your point, which is what I believe that you're talking about. But the gameplay aspect is important to the game or else we wouldn't call it a game. You yeah. know, it, it would be baseball cards instead or basketball yeah. cards or football cards, whatever. Um, but because these are game pieces that people are buying, regardless of if they're going to play with them or not, they have the art that's beautiful and, and collectible or it has, you know, the monetary value and stuff. So you meet right. different angles. There's this uh, YouTube channel on... Um, well, obviously on there's YouTube. A, there's a lot of them. But uh, the one that I'm specifically talking about, this dude, his name is Rudy with Alpha Investments. He's he funny. Funny's a funny's a good word, I guess. <laughs> he, he he kind of rubs me the wrong way, but I think it's part I of his shtick. It. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's, his it's, it's online personality for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, I obviously I'm talking about it. It, it works. His his channel is a thing that people yep. watch and everything. But he, it's called Alpha Investments. So I, they, he yeah. buys, he's got card shops, but he buys ass tons of products so, to flip. I, I've always wondered, like, I, I like watching his card openings and stuff when he has like, people will send him like, yeah, I got like this beta booster. Like, do you want to open it? And he's like, yeah, yeah send it my way. Right. But then like, I, I, I assume he makes money with it. Like, he has right. to make money. I mean, some of these cards have legitimate value like if you don't know anything about magic gathering some cards are worth literally thousands of dollars yeah i've got a collection that's probably approaching 20k if not more than that yeah that i've traded into very respectable yeah i I don't i i have some pre-constructed commander decks and like i think i have some planeswalker decks and stuff but like again i I am 99 percent on arena right you and I talked about that today too. Like for me, I don't place any more value on paper cards than I do on my digital collection. Because right. for me, it's about the collection and the game. Yeah, I don't really care about the monetary value aspect. So, so my whole thing is is when I'm done with this, uh, whenever that happens, if it happens, I mean, on. I might be dead You're, first. Who knows? Yeah, but uh, you can be buried with your cards. <laughs> there is a tangible product that has a monetary value for as long as this game will be played. Yeah. And that would be the only thing that would stop it from having a monetary value is if the game dies. So my hesitation with the monetary stuff is that Wizards of the Coast has never openly acknowledged the secondary market because right. they, because they can't. But the reality is like, okay, like the most valuable card in existence is the uh, Alpha Black Alpha Lotus. Black Lotus. Yeah. And, but Nothing is stopping them from reprinting that card. Right. Right now. Right. They can they do could, it. They can say, fuck it. One million new copies of Black Lotus. Right. Here you go. Everyone gets one. And suddenly that card, like, okay, their original alpha is still going to be... It'll retain Because it's value. a collector's, collector's yeah. item. But it will lose value. Right. Like, I, I have a hard time really trusting a market that is fully controlled by the whims of one company. Right. So I understand that that reservation, but that's if you come into it like Rudy at Alpha Investments, and yeah. you're trying to make money off of it. Which he, I, again, I assume he does. Yeah, he does. Like, he, he makes some money off of it. But my my whole point is, I'm buying game pieces. I'm not buying yeah. 
uh, these cards as collector items. Now, it just so happens that a lot of the times, the more valuable ones are worth more because they yeah. do a really good effect. So that's I, kind of where that goes. Tyvali Guy in Korea, do you remember, uh, what was the set? Ikoria came out. Yeah. Ikoria is like one of the planes of existence. for So Magic the Gathering takes place on different planes of existence, and Ikoria is like a, think, Jurassic Park kind of plane, like big animals and... Yeah, there's like, kaiju everywhere. Yeah. But when it came out, they had a... Uh, like a Godzilla crossover. Godzilla crossover. Yeah, thank you. And one of the cards that came out was like Godzilla Corona something. Death or, Corona. Death Corona, yeah. Well, that set happened to coincide exactly with the coronavirus. So they ceased all printing of that card. Well, I knew a guy in Korea who was offering like four or five bucks for every copy of that card he has hands on. Right. And he was convinced it was going to be worth, you know, a fortune. Right. The problem is that, again, if you're not aware of how it works, there are four levels of rarity for these cards. You have common, uncommon, rare, and mythic. And this card is uncommon, which means there's quite a lot of them. Right. So, you know, he tried to corner the market on this card that was going to be done printing, but right. it had already been printed, already sold. Right, right. Everyone already had a copy. Last I heard, they were worth like $1.50 or something each. So, like, they're cool. He had he had the right idea. Right. But, Well, to yeah. get back to the, the community, yeah, sorry, instead of, yeah we, we kind of dove into that. So sorry if we bored the tears out of uh, anybody about just talking about different aspects of this game. But uh, the community aspect and, and D&D, and um in Magic the Gathering and, and other kinds of yeah. tabletop games that have sort of an RPG element. Um, the community is vast because the people that are there, there's not really a barrier to entry. No. Wizards of the Coast, who owns both uh D D and Magic the Gathering, try to make it like to your point you well, made Hasbro. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Hasbro owns uh Wizards, but they, they try to make it as welcoming as they can insofar yes. as they have uh LGBTQ uh, uh, community people on there as well as, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't matter the, your skin tone. It's, it doesn't matter your religious background. They've tried to make this stuff very, very welcoming. It's and, been that way from, from inception. And like the other thing about it too, is like in D and D it doesn't matter like your religion or your race or whatever. Right. You could make it an aspect of your avatar that you're playing with. If you wanted to, maybe not as literal as like if you're, if you're Islamic or if you're Christian, but you know, there's a, that probably exists somewhere in the pantheon of things that happen. It's, it's within kinda, I'm going to go a little political here. Maybe I should have. I'm going to, okay. I think, I think fantasy in general has always been a very progressive genre. Like, for the most part. So things like D&D and Magic the Gathering have always been more open-minded than, you know, some other hobbies and pastimes. But when D&D kind of first first took off, like, in the 80s, uh -huh. there was the whole satanic panic thing. Oh, yeah, there was a magic, yeah. too, yeah. And there was a resistance, like, oh, well, you're concerned with demons or everything. It's like, yeah, it's fucking cool. Yeah, like, it's sick. Yeah. <laughs> have you heard about demons, bro? But I Let think, me tell you about our Lord and Savior Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that's what they wanted yeah. you that's what they thought we were all doing yeah i mean if anybody watches stranger things uh well, if they watch the most recent and that's what's gonna get that, you that about like right now there has been a massive surge in D, &D popularity and that is in large part to uh stranger, stranger things. things and also uh critical role yeah like yeah. you know that's 
I would say that would be to a lesser extent because yeah. more people would be uh, looking at a Netflix subscription than they would be listening to the Critical yeah. Role. But once they found yeah, yeah. D&D through that, I'm sure Critical Role's membership now, has gone up. I'm honestly not a fan of Critical Role. One, because Matt Mercer makes me look bad. He's like, so there's a thing called the Mercer effect for Dungeon Masters. What's that? So basically, you know, that entire group are professional voice actors. Oh, yeah. Including Matt Mercer. So okay. he is an exceptionally talented voice actor and Dungeon Master. Right. So people who are like, hey, this seems like a really fun game. I want to play D&D. They come to my table expecting me to be like Matt Mercer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You play with me. I don't, I'm not... Role playing is not my strong suit. Right. Like I don't usually. We make, would have to take like improv, yeah. improv classes or something to do so it. So people's expectations were so high that there was some disappointment after the fact. I but can imagine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean D and D is just it's great it's for everybody. Well, yeah. Uh, well, so I'm gonna flip the script a little bit on that. So you were talking about how they've been welcoming and and a little bit more progressive. Yeah. There are artists. Um, such as for Magic the Gathering, the people who do... So if you're not aware of the cards, they have on the back, it says Magic the Gathering of the card, but on the face of the card, it has the name of the card and then all the gameplay information, but about, I would say, 40% of the card is just art. Yeah. At the at a bare minimum, 40% Sometimes of very good art. Yeah, yeah. Except and, that one card. Uh... Well, I mean, all art is subjective. No, but there was that one. The Faithless Looting card. God, oh, my God. That, okay. You guys can Google Faithless Looting if you want to and see it. It looks like Microsoft Paint and Microsoft Paint. I, that, is the, that is the single worst magic art I've ever seen. I will go on to say that the full proof looks way better than just what's cropped on the I card. I think it looks worse. You oh, really? The, yeah, I thought it looked worse with the whole thing. Well, like it, so to go back to what I was sorry, saying, yeah. there's an artist, Teresa Nielsen, and another one, Seb McKinnon that have famously exceptional art cool. that have been on the wrong side of history for different things. There is also a another artist where they won't print any of the art anymore because at the time that they were commissioning art from him, they didn't realize he was a Nazi. Oh. Like a Nazi Nazi. Yeah, like, yeah. Not just like somebody that you think was like an asshole. Like, nah, he was like here for the Fourth Reich or whatever. And then um, there are cards recently, as recently as 2020, that were banned out of the format for depictions of uh, essentially either racist or what would you call uh, something that's like uh, not good for religion? I don't know how to, just intolerant cards. Yeah. One of them has a depiction of the clan, and I can't remember yeah. what it is, but. The art speaks to what the effect is. There's a card called Crusade, which shows people in armor, like the Christians that were cutting down Islamic people from the set Arabian Nights. Yeah. So uh, there are a couple missteps and hiccups that, that I mean, look no. at anybody and say you've got a sterling record. Yeah, you'll show, like, you know. I'm not going to defend it because I, I know what you're talking about, and the art is pretty... Not it's okay. striking at this time. Yeah. At the same time, like, I think intent does matter. And yeah. I don't think the intent was like, oh, yeah, like, these people are Arabic versus good old Christians. Therefore, you know, we're going to make them the bad guys on the card. I think it was just 
Well, they were depicting what we yeah. imagine the Crusades to look yeah. like, and then if it's Which, called Crusade, then why wouldn't you depict I think it that way? Most people who are being honest wouldn't, you know, look at the Crusades as a some noble thing. It was right, right. Yeah. It was a pretty bad part of it. Well, yeah. as all history tends to be, the yeah. interesting stuff is all often awful. But you know, they also had that new set. Was it new? Like it was like literally, it was like a LGBTQ. Like focus set. Oh, oh, it was the secret layers. Yeah. So yes, and they, that had one of my favorite arts. It was like the bear. Uh, oh, bearscape. Yeah. Bearscape. That the bunch of uh, uh, I guess bear, gay yeah, dudes. That is probably like when that came out. I was like, man, people are gonna be so pissed off, and I cannot wait. And they were. Weren't they, they were. Oh, the community. It spawned a whole new subreddit called Free Magic, and that place is a fucking cesspool. Oh, is it? Oh man, it's all about like basically, you know, just racist misogynistic bullshit and like now even in some of the uh the books and stuff there was a i don't remember which planeswalkers it it was but uh the 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 people in there that were it was like maybe nissa and vraska or somebody like that or chandra and nissa or something anyways vraska isn't she like a she loves jace so regardless she's also a a medusa right so right well i mean she like, are they I mean, not a lot of love, right? I, I don't know. I'm just saying. Like, I. <laughs> but regardless, okay, yeah. uh, they had these two people. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I uh, uh, told uh, Sarah Ogletree about this. Uh, William's wife, when I saw yeah. her at Happy Valley, that there, she was talking about the pride thing because William had bought those cards as well. Cool. Um, that uh, wizards unintentionally or intentionally, I don't know which, uh, or through their artists that they commissioned to come up with story and stuff like that. Accidental, well, accidentally or intentionally gal pal people. Have you heard this term before? Gal paling? Uh, no. Do you think you know what it means? So like two girls that are only friends despite being a couple. Like, right. Well, yeah. So it's like these two people were in, uh, you know, a non heteronormative relationship. Yeah. And they're like, nah, they're just really good friends. No, (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's canonically they're straight but they were definitely not or whatever so some weren't related so uh at my second school uh there was a a couple that came in uh sam and carlene who i know they don't listen but great couple yeah but they were a lesbian couple right and that's not really accepted in Korea still. Yeah. So the school had to have known, but as far as the school was concerned and the students were concerned, they were just roommates. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. it was, I was like, man, that must fucking suck. Yeah. And Sam once told me how, how that felt though. She actually struggled with her relationship because she couldn't show affection to her now wife because right. of risk of losing her job. Right. And, yeah, I don't know. That just that's what come to, came in my mind right, immediately. Right. Like being forced into a heteronormative yeah, situation. That yeah, it's, just, it's not it's not okay. Like there there is no argument you could ever make to me to justify bigotry and telling someone they can't love who they want to love. Right. Like because I mean, like, what the fuck do you even care? Yeah, like, it doesn't I, affect I don't, you. I don't get it. I, I I honest to God, do not get it. Right. Well, and it's so with everything that we've been talking about. Even as far-reaching as it has ventured from tabletop games, the most important thing that I would say about this 
is we would not be having these conversations right now yeah. if it weren't for them. And so I think that is a huge thing that that speaks to the importance of tabletop games in terms of like, you know, exposing people to situations or ideas that they may not have experienced before. But additionally, uh, you used it as a method to have people experience a language that they have not yet oh, experienced. Yeah. Well, I'll get that in a second. I don't want to talk about, to say like inclusivity is a core component of, well, any game, I think, but especially Magic the Gathering and D&D. Yeah. Like, especially like in D&D, and I'm going to tie it into the language thing as well, like D&D allows you to play any character you want to play. I had a friend who in Korea was absolutely gay, but she didn't openly admit that. Right. Until she made a character in game that was gay, uh-huh. and then she was like, "You know what? This feels right." Right. And then she was openly gay at that point. Like she right. was just so D and D is almost like therapy for people, yeah. and but also you just mentioned it's a tool. So I realized pretty quickly that D and D was a perfect way to teach children. Makes so. Sense. I used Indian in the classroom to teach English, and I can say with absolute certainty that my students learned more from playing D&D than they ever learned from any textbook. One of my favorite students, whoops, yes, teachers have favorite students. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this so do your kid, parents. Yeah. Hold on to your butt. So your parents have a favorite. <laughs> yeah, this kid named Leo, uh, he was a smart kid, uh, and we were playing D&D, and he did not know the word for wood, like a wood block. Right. So, but he wanted to take a piece of wood and like do something with it. He's like, teacher, you know, a tree block, a tree block. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck's a tree block? What are you (laughs) saying? And he's like, you know, a tree block and you make a house. And I was like, wood? He's like, yes, wood. And he learned the word wood. Yeah. And And he learned what it meant within the context of English. Uh, So, yeah. On one hand, my kids were learning words like fireball and sneak attack and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, not necessarily useful in everyday language. Right. But they were also trying to describe things they had no way of describing before playing the game. Right. And they didn't forget it. That was right. another thing. And they wanted to do it. And if they wanted to play the game, even the dumbest student I had had to find a way to communicate or they couldn't participate right. in that. So it also made me think about, like, I wanted to try this out, maybe, because I volunteered at an old folks home when I was in high school, uh-huh. and, you know, it's it, it's true. They love bingo. Right. But I think they would enjoy some D&D. I mean, they might. Like, it just, it brings out the best in people. But there's some limitations with, like, cognitive ability and stuff. You wouldn't go to an old folks home if you were yeah, either sound body or sound Well, so... One or the other. When I play my students, I obviously, I simplified the game a lot. Right. Like, it was much more, like... Uh, toned down game. Uh, right. The rules are less strict. Everyone, you couldn't really die or anything. Yeah. But I, I just think that I don't think that's limited to D and D though. I think any game can be used as a way of reaching somebody who might not right. be reachable otherwise. Uh, you know, it's very popular in prisons. Actually, D and D's taking off. Huh. Uh, it's also popular uh in the military. So that makes sense. To play D and D, all you really need is a dice, yeah, or a die. Or you need a set of dice, right? You can get one of those anywhere, or just Six use your bucks. phone, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you phone. don't need a game board, you don't need a map, you don't need pieces. So that's why I think D and D is like the 
number one tabletop game. Well, uh, to go like, back to the sports and stuff, you're talking about how the only thing that was the most popular sports in the world, you soccer. don't need much, much you equipment. Need you need a ball. Yeah. So with this, you just need your it's imagination. A, it's the same thing, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, board games are, I think, remarkable. I think I've never met anyone who didn't like board games. There are board games they don't like. Right. But it's just a matter of finding the one that kind of scratches that itch. Do you know the first really big game in the U.S. that kind of like was more than Monopoly was like uh, Settlers of Catan? Yes, yes, which yes. I've never played. I've never played it either. But that, you know, that, you know, that's kind of a cooperative game, right? I don't actually know. Are you competing? I, I don't really or? know. I honestly don't know. I uh, think there is a cooperative aspect of it because. It, like many games, they boil down to resource management, yeah. and that's kind of what that is. But you, I, I guess you guys like that game we brought over, right? The, yeah, uh, Ticket to, to Ride. ride. Yes. That is a. I mean, I think that's a perfect. So I guess game. we should sort of. I, I kind of want to dive into this, even though that uh, on our docket we don't really have this written down. But yeah. Um, well, I do have games we play. Clearly, we play yeah. Magic: The Gathering. Clearly, we play Dungeons and Dragons. What are uh, what are some tabletop games that we haven't mentioned that you think you would recommend, and could you sort of uh, explain to them? So, uh, so I think uh, again, I am not like a. I want to play more board games than I play, but right. it's just it's hard to do. But I oh I yeah we missed an opportunity here, uh, Josh. If you listen to this episode, oh, yeah. You, we should have had you on as a they, guest because you are like the tabletop dude, game guy. Him and Lily had a game that Kathy and I played with him. It was so fun. Uh, it was a Jack the Ripper game. I think it was called. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Like, I don't remember what it's called either, but yeah. That game was fun. You have, uh, what is it, three detectives and then one person that's going yeah. after Jack the Ripper? I had a house rule idea for it too because there's two detectives and then one journalist. And I thought it'd be kind of cool that the journalist couldn't actually catch Jack. He had because that guy can teleport other people in to help. Right. So I was like, what if he couldn't actually make the arrest? He could find him. Yeah. But then he had to call in the police. I don't know if it would be good or not. Yeah. Uh, but I do think Ticket to Ride is like the ultimate introduction game. Because so ex- explain explain how it's played. So, hmm, how do I explain it? So the whole idea is like you're trying to. So the version we bought was Ticket to Ride Europe. Europe. Yes. And the whole idea is that you're you are trying to complete as many trips from one station to another as possible. But once you have your pieces on a certain route, no one else can use that route. Right. So the goal is to acquire the most number of routes and you also have cards that indicate, you know, Munich to Rome. And right. if you complete that particular route, you get you know, 15 points, whatever it is. So to, to distill it down as best as I can, uh, if I was to say the order of operation to learn how to play the game, you have your game pieces, which are our trade cars. You have the board, which is uh, a depiction of routes between play a map of Europe. Yeah. That's from town to town. And you place these train cars down to indicate that you have taken this route and nobody else can use that route. But they might have parallel routes that would go so both directions. In that version, you do have the train stations too. Yeah. So you can use, you have three train stations and you can use those to use another person's route. Right. Uh, but now these, these things, it sounds more complicated to describe it's it. Than it's an easy it's game to play. It yeah. Is, yeah. We picked it up. Jessica and I had never played it before. I think it's one of her favorite games. Yeah. It's absolutely in like the top of yeah. mine. And the whole thing is like, that is an important aspect of gaming is that it's approachable. Approachable. So, yeah. 
and that's we have another game we haven't played yet that i want to try with you guys uh terraforming mars oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah i haven't played it yet but it seems it's a bit more complicated i think than right. ticket to ride right but that's the other thing too like at this point board games have become so just uh widespread oh excuse me yeah uh what's i saying oh yeah have become so widespread that there is a very clear level of difficulty in games now right and it's dead on accurate like if you go online like oh i want to find like the hardest game possible i think there's one like lord of the rings game where it's like the war really of the ring or whatever uh, and it's just like people are, like it takes like days, days. to play well it's I mean, really fun but so uh ticket to ride is like an extremely approachable game something that i think is less approachable but it's harder to explain than it is to play would be risk. I really enjoy playing I do risk. Like risk. And yeah. so for those of you who haven't played risk before, but are interested, risk is essentially a, a military tactical game to where you are trying to, uh, conquer the world from wherever your point of origin is. If you start in Australia, you have a bonus for being in Australia. That would be different than you being on what? North America or South America or Africa or Europe or Asia. What was the game we played? There was a game you and I played all the time when we were kids. I don't think it was Risk. A board game? Yeah, you and I played it all the time, and there was like a spy, and he, he's okay. the... Okay, so, so yeah, this game that you're talking about is called Stratego. Yeah. That was the name of the game. We played it a lot. Uh, imagine uh, Guess Who, for those who know. Yeah. You can see your side, but you can't see your opponent's side. You have pieces that can move, and then if your piece, it, it, whatever it's called, it doesn't really matter all that much. Yeah. But it has a, a numerical value assigned to it. So when you approach a game piece of your opponents and they're in, they occupy the same square, because it's kind of like checkers or chess. Yeah, squares yeah, to yeah. Across, Once you approach them, then you both reveal to the other person what it is that has approached there. And you look at their numerical values. And if your numerical value is higher then they can kill the you piece. capture their piece but only the spy can kill like the there's grand marshal or something yeah, there's a level yeah. 10 and you only have one of those but you also only have like one spy yep. that, that can take down those this might people. be just me but i think one aspect of games that i enjoy is explaining how to play the game right right i, I, I just i love that like especially D D. it's all like, with the teaching it's yeah, just uh it's like it's, you have that itch yeah yeah I, I do every now and then like I do kind of miss teaching, yeah. but I think I miss the idea more than the actual practice, practice of, of teaching. Uh, but I do, I do miss playing games. I, I invented so many games in my classroom. Like right. I invented a new version of Hangman that I am convinced if I marketed it, it could actually make some money. <laughs> like, but you know, yeah, kids loved it. I, I mean, I had you know I had one game I made. Uh, I called it a snowball. Uh-huh. And it was a very simple game. So basically, students had to tell me words, but each word had to have one more letter than the last one. Okay. So the first one was simple, uh, I. Yeah. And then the second word was like me, it, whatever, and yeah. then cat, dog, whatever, and then bird. or, And yeah. it got to a point where, okay, now, now I think it's like at 20, you can do sentences instead. And by the time the kids realized they're you know, spelling and I mean, they're, they're running around the classroom trying to find words that will, I need eight, Satisfy I need 10. Yeah. yeah. They loved it. Right. And so I, I, I love that. So I like games. I'm a gamer. Right. Like I, I've always. Well, games like, are as useful as a tool as they are a pastime in a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, 
to to further on go with that, uh, one of the things that I would say with uh, Magic the Gathering is it is a very complex game. Absolutely. Uh, I love it. And it's not... The complexity doesn't mean it's difficult. But one thing that I would argue is that there is a large cognitive load to playing Magic the Gathering. I, I would say it's very difficult, but only because there is no ceiling. There, There is never going to be a point where you know everything about magic. Like, it is a very... Like, well, I guess it depends on what you're playing, too. If you're playing standard... Yeah, you can solve standard. So, again, so there are different formats you can play in Magic right. the Gathering. Standard is the one that rotates out, so new sets are made, <laughs> and then... So now you're going to have to explain your attention. Yeah. I wouldn't okay. even get into the weeds I, of so that. Anyways, like, but if you're playing, like, what Andrew plays, like, Commander, you have uh, access to essentially every card single pool. card ever made. Yeah. And predicting how all those cards interact is not always possible. Right. Uh, but Which is what professional judges, yeah, right. Like, um, so it was made by judges of it, and to explain the complexity, there is literally essentially a lawyer school that you can go to to oh, make yeah. sure that you understand the rules well enough to assist people to figure out how cards that commonly don't interact interact in a competitive setting. You know, one thing that helped Kathy learn to play and helped me learn learn to play was to actually envision it the way the lore plays out. So the whole idea is that you're, you know, you're a planeswalker who's yeah. commanding an army of magical creatures and right. spells and stuff. And to think about, try to visualize that battlefield. Right. And like, okay, this spell does three damage to this creature. How yeah. does that work? And that's pretty simple, right? It does right, three damage, right. whatever. But, but I, I would say that the game, because of its complexity, could be as difficult or as easy as you wanted it to be. Yeah. And there definitely is like... The, the floor is pretty high in terms yeah. of like its difficulty, but I, I would I would still say so many people play this game. You should not be afraid to approach this no. game because the the sheer volume of people who play it means that there's got to be people who aren't the brightest yeah. or aren't as intelligent as you, the listener here, that is able to wrap their head around to the game to some capacity. Well, there are also, you know, we mentioned before that... Uh, luck being a factor makes it approachable. Yeah. And in Magic's case, it's a card game. So you have, you're drawing cards from your deck, so you don't know what you're going to draw next. But also, the way that you pay for your cards is a Magic system that also have land cards that you play as well. So it's it boils down to resource management. Yeah. That's what essentially most games are. But it's, it's luck, right? Like, oh, I'm going to sneeze, sorry. <laughs> well, if you make it into... Uh, into the game, any game that you play, if you think about if you're going to play chess, you're managing your resources. Yeah. If you're going to play Magic, you're managing your resources. If you play Settlers of Catan, I do know that that is a resource-based game. Catan or Catan? Catan, Catan. I, I, I have no idea, actually. It's not a real place, so I don't know yeah. if it has a real pronunciation. Yeah. I'm sure the creator would argue. But uh, the uh, uh, that game is resource-based. Ticket to Ride is resource-based. Um you know, I wonder um, if there's any game that isn't. Like, well, uh, you get to something like Liar's Dice or uh, 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 Texas Hold'em or something. Well, I guess no, it technically is resource I mean, based because you're, 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 you're betting chips on your and chips. Stuff, and yeah. Once you're out of chips, you're out of the game. So, I mean, resource management is definitely an important part to a lot of games. And to break that mold would be something that's I would say is unusual. Um, and it's probably harder to explain because of the fact that you're not managing a resource. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we 
we talked about magic a lot, but I do think like for me, I prefer playing D and D, but it's harder to play magic. One of the appeals of that, it was designed to be able to play anywhere at any time. Right. Like I was reading the, there's a, actually, you know what, if you want to know about magic, there is a great article in the New Yorker about magic and how it started. It is amazing. And you know, it literally began with the idea of like, okay, we want to make a game that people will keep spending money on that they can literally play anywhere with anyone at any time. And they definitely succeeded. Like it's like, it's well, a tape. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, if you have a deck, you can play. I mean, that's yeah. basically what it boils down to. So uh, I don't know if you want to dive into it too far, but like, what's your primary color in magic? Do you think or a color combination? I know what you're getting at. I think the more the the most interesting one uh, involves a combination of red and blue and black. It might not be those three. It might not. It might just only be two of those. Um, blue, um, black, black, red, red, black, blue, red, blue, whatever. Red those blue are all, is definitely my. Uh, and I think it's because so like so basically ask the question that well, you're no, setting so, up. Yeah, so my my question is like, do you think the colors you play or the kind of deck you play reflects you as a person? No, I no? don't. Okay. I don't. And, and uh, the reason that I would say that is because there's another thought exercise that's done the same way yeah. that I subscribe to a little bit more. Um, when you play any game, yeah, this isn't just magic. This is any game. Do you want to have the biggest scariest thing? Do you want to have the most unusual sort of rules bending thing like happening? Timmy and Spike and or do you want to win? And those three think there's a fourth one that has been like invented or whatever. I don't remember exactly its angle, but that is sort of how I see most games. You could do that in D and D, for example. Do you want to have okay. the min maxing? If you want yeah. to min max, you're a Timmy. Okay. If you want to break break all the rules, you're probably like a polymorph wizard, and okay. you're just trying to see what neat stuff happens. Or are you just trying min maxing? Can also be so. It's Spike, uh, Spike and Timmy, and Johnny. Johnny. Yeah. And so Spike is like competitive, right? Yeah. I would say you're probably a Spike. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh. So Timmy is like. I see big stats. I like big stats. Right, right. What is it, Johnny? Johnny is the one who wants to make a Rube Goldberg machine and so, navigate their way through the game. I think I'm probably between a Johnny and a Timmy. because I'm, I'm a Johnny Spike. Because I, I like, like, okay, I apologize to everyone. This make no sense if you don't play. Right. But I definitely prefer tempo stack decks. Okay. Like, I like, you know, those. my Izzet decks always play the stack a lot. Right. Uh, but I don't really like big combos. I don't right. like... You know, if I need to have more than three cards, make something happen, uh, it can just yeah, fuck more off. More than three is it's hard to achieve. I would say even more three. than two, honestly. Like, I like to play a card and get incidental value from that card. So, and I think that also is due to the format. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I subscribe to that. Do you, so, do you think it tells more about you than... than... I, so, I had a friend... So, my D&D group in Korea began as a magic group. But it was, it ended up being, uh, there's one of the guys, he was, he said he played blue, but didn't want to admit to being a blue player. Right. Uh, well, so what, what do you think it says about it though? I don't know. I, I think, so like the five colors of magic are supposed to represent different kind of things, right? Like blue is, uh, 
Intelligence. Intelligence. Black is like uh, ambition. Yeah, ambition. Green was growth. Red was aggression. And white was like community or Uh, unity or whatever it was. Law and order. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, uh, what was this guy? I can't remember his name, honestly. Like, but he, he, he was blue. Yeah. Like all the way. He loved blue, but he never admitted it. Well, now I can see people sort of branching into those kind of things, but, uh, uh, but I don't know necessarily that it says anything mainly about like your personality necessarily. I don't know that it would. Yeah define you in such a degree i mean people have fun with it so right i mean that's the main point it is yeah it's a fun exercise right but uh uh this was another episode of the smooth brain inquisition uh thanks Thanks for for listening listening. i'm andrew i'm ryan see you guys later go play some games